The Holy Gospel for the Festival of Pentecost is recorded in John chapter 16, beginning at verse 5. Jesus said, But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, Where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief, because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. Five chapters of the Gospel of John take place in the upper room, sitting around the table on Thursday of Holy Week, Maundy Thursday. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He predicted uh, uh, prophesied that Judas would betray him and that Peter would deny him. He told his disciples that he was going ahead to prepare a place for all of us in heaven. He reminded us that he himself is the only way to heaven. He promised to send the Holy Spirit. He used the imagery of a vine and the branches to remind us of our relationship to him, to say grafted in to, he, to him. Uh, he also explained that because of him, the world is going to hate us. And he prayed for us. He prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for every single one of us. And along the way, he spoke these words to explain the work of the Holy Spirit, whom he would send to the disciples at Pentecost and to each one of us at our baptism. We think of the Holy Spirit, the one Jesus sent, as the one who creates faith, who, uh, who upholds us, who fills us with God's presence, who dwells in us, in, uh, in our spirit, but also in the temple of our flesh, his temple. We uh, also remember that Jesus shows us that the third person of the Holy Trinity also comes to judge. He comes to judge us now in the world, in time, while uh, we are in the world and he is in the world. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah calls this in Isaiah 28, the strange work of the Holy Spirit, his alien task. Well, the first judgment of the Spirit is to prove that the world is in the wrong about sin. And we like to think that we're not so bad. We like to think that there is something lovable about us, that God cherishes us, or that there's something in us that God would want to cherish. We don't want to be told that we are thoroughly corrupt, that we are fully deserving of God's wrath and punishment. We don't want to, to be told that there is nothing at all that we can do to rescue ourselves from God's eternal and inevitable wrath. I've read that in most larger deserts in the world, 
there are stretches of, I hesitate to call it land, but uh, baked clay where there's no, there's no sand blowing, there are no dunes, there's, there's no oasis, there, uh, there's no scrub brush, there are no cactuses, not even a palm tree uh, has a, hazards to, to put in a root anywhere. There's just nothing. And it's just like a parking lot, a paved hard parking lot for hundreds of miles in every direction as far as the eye can see. And that is the image the Bible paints of the sinful heart of man. Now the tools the Holy Spirit uses to soften our sinful hearts, look, I think to the outside unbelieving world, they look pretty wicked and pretty cruel. The, the law, the promises of punishment and of judgment, those things look pretty nasty, but that's what the Holy Spirit uses. But then again, some of the tools that a farmer or a gardener uses on the hard, sun-baked ground also look pretty cruel and, and, and pretty wicked. They're uh, uh, razor-sharp discs that penetrate the soil and, and claw things that reach down with, with tempered steel alloys to, to break up the soil and to, to make it able to receive some, some water and, and some seed that might begin to grow and, and thrive and produce something green, something beneficial, some food, even some beauty. And so the Holy Spirit uses his tools to do the same thing in us. He uses his cruel, seeming, wicked tools, the law and the promises of judgment and of punishment to stab and cut at our hard hearts and our unyielding, sun-baked opinions of ourselves. And he turns everything over and he softens us up so that we are soil able to receive the life-giving water, the seeds of faith, and bring forth something living, something thriving and growing to bring forth the fruits of faith and maybe even something beautiful. The second judgment of the Spirit is to prove that the world is in the wrong about righteousness. A typical person in the world thinks, well, I'm not guilty of adultery or coveting or stealing or murder. Uh, I work hard all week. I play hard all weekend. I mind my own business. But that's not righteousness. That's, that's not what God is looking for in us. Jesus shows us um, earlier in the Gospels, in fact, in the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, early in his ministry, Jesus kind of goes in and inspects the very threads of the tapestry of the Ten Commandments uh, to, to show us that just, just how sinful we are regarding God's law. It's like he comes after the fabric of our own self-righteousness with a seam ripper to tear apart where we think we are at our firmest and to show us that, that even a sinful thought is just as damning before God as a sinful word or a sinful action. That a moment of lust or envy or pride, greed slams the door of the prison of our shame and our sin. Well, so much for the world's idea of righteousness. 
But the Word of God has a different definition of righteousness from the very first time in the Bible that righteousness is mentioned when in the account of Abraham, when Moses says, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. And the Apostle Paul writes early in the book of Romans, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So the true righteousness that the Holy Spirit is looking for is the very faith that the Holy Spirit gives to us, which by the grace of God places us under the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Did you notice in our text that Jesus says, unless I go away, the Advocate or the Holy Spirit will not come to you? I think it's best to think of this as Jesus' goal to complete his work, his ministry given to him by the Father to do in the world. A ministry that went beyond the teaching of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus. Even at this Last Supper meal, his disciples were, from which our text is taken from this meal, our disciples are still thinking of Jesus entirely in the terms and the context of his teaching and of his miracles. But Jesus is thinking in broader terms, in the future, thinking of the cross, thinking of the tomb, thinking even of his ascension. And these things were about to take place. He was only hours away from his betrayal and his arrest and, and very, very soon it would be his crucifixion and death as well. But he had to undergo all of that in order to finish what he came to do. In fact, where would our faith be without the cross and the empty tomb? So when Jesus says, unless I go away in this passage, in your mind, let him go. Praise God for what's happening when the soldiers take him outside the city to do what they have to do to him and put our faith in him as he dies so that he can cover and atone for all of our guilt and shame. The third judgment of the Spirit is to prove that the world is wrong about judgment itself. Jesus says that, that this judgment is on the prince of this world. That's what made me think of a mighty fortress. So we would sing that third verse and think about the world's prince may still scowl fears as he will, but he's judged. That's what Jesus tells us and what Luther wrote in the hymn. He is judged and this is what happened or was about to happen on the cross. The, the, I know that the unbelieving world rejects the cross and certainly the message of the cross. The conspiracy theory crowd wants to say that the cross never happened. On the other hand, the, the heathen religions of the heathen nations, they want to say that sure, yeah, the cross happened. They embrace the cross because they think of it as, as the end of Jesus and therefore justifying their own pagan false religion. But we embrace the cross because of the empty tomb. He is risen. We, we missed Easter together this year. Can we say it? He is risen. 
Alleluia. It is just that, that the Holy Spirit has come into the world to proclaim. The one who was in trouble on the cross wasn't Jesus. It was the devil. For Jesus, it was like a man who, as God the Father promised Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it was like a man uh, uh, who is bitten in the heel by a serpent, and yet he has crushed the serpent's head, ended the power of the devil, and the empty tomb simply sealed that victory. So where does that leave us today? Don't forget that Jesus said these things, and Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit into the world and into our hearts for our consolation. The Holy Spirit helps us to bear up under our, our pain and our private personal crosses. Each of us suffers in different ways. And these days, maybe we are all suffering in some way. In a few, very few months, really just weeks, some of our young people will be going away to college for the first time. One of those in my household. And if they are going to uh, one of our schools, one of our church's schools, they will encounter professors and students who share their faith. And that's a fantastic blessing for which we praise God. But they might be going to a, a secular college, a, a state university, or even to a school of another denomination. And there might be resistance to their faith in those places, either by an unbelieving professor or student who hates Christ and who attacks him, or by a student who, who hates our fellowship principles and our, our confession of faith and attacks it, or a habit, or a friend, or somebody else who more gently simply steers them away from Christ. Pray for those young people in your life or up the street from you. Talk to them. Warn them. Encourage them to stay connected to us through our streaming online services and through the other things we have to offer uh, uh, by computer and perhaps with uh, a preaching station in whatever city they happen to be in. Most of the world wants to believe in a God, uh, but often gets it pretty wrong. A, a God who is vengeful or judgmental only, a God who, or, or maybe a God who is disinterested in us. They don't understand the victory over sin. They cannot comprehend the righteousness that is by faith. They have no idea that the power of the devil was crushed forever on the cross. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of these things. When the Holy Spirit came in such spectacular means at Pentecost and there were tongues of fire and there, 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 were, there were languages coming out of the tongues of the apostles and languages they had never learned and they were preaching Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Set aside in your moment, in your mind, for just a moment, the tongues of fire and the speaking in tongues. And what was the message? They were preaching Christ crucified and risen from the dead. This is the message of the Holy Spirit. Not a new church, the church of the Holy Spirit and of, and of, of spiritual gifts only and speaking in tongues and whatever else the Spirit does, but of pointing to Jesus Christ 
who paid for all of our sins with his blood. And in spectacular means or ordinary means, he proclaims that message still to us, still today. Where would we be without the Holy Spirit? Well, we might be sitting there at the table with our elbows on the table with the apostles, just loving to hear Jesus' teaching and loving to see his miracles and wanting him to never leave the room, that he would go on teaching and preaching and wonder-working and that he would somehow stave off his appointment with the cross and his time in the tomb and even his flight up into and beyond the clouds and in his ascension. But he had to go through all of those things for our sakes. You might be hurting for a bunch of different reasons right now. There might be because of setbacks in your life, because blessings you expected to be given one way have turned into blessings, but given a different way. Don't forget that there's still blessings. Uh, a life you thought would look a certain way, and it looks a different way now, but set a Christian example for the other people who are hurting. You or your spouse or friends or family may later today strap on a mask and soap up the hands or put on the, the, um, the, the sanitizer and, and go once again to the store Maybe wondering if this time they're going to be out of toilet paper or are they going to be out of our cat litter or my child's favorite snack or they're going to be out of dish soap this time or some other thing or am I even going to have shoes that fit the people in my family? These are problems in our world right now. But these are problems that the whole world has all the time that we're kind of exempt from because we live in America, a land of plenty of, of great wealth, the, the most wealth per capita of any nation, of any century in the entire history of the world. So maybe this outbreak is causing us to see things from other people's point of view. Maybe that'll be a good thing that comes out of this, along with many other blessings we pray come out of this. But we also have this opportunity to share our faith, to show our trust in Christ, to brush off cares, inconveniences, and real fears, and cast all of our cares on our Savior Jesus. The Holy Spirit has not come into the world to begin a new religion. He has come into the world to point us back to Jesus Christ and no one else for faith, for forgiveness, for peace, for help in this time of trouble. Jesus is the answer to sin. Jesus is the answer to our righteousness. Jesus is the answer to judgment. Jesus is the only way to everlasting peace. This is the message of the Holy Spirit. And the peace of God that transcends our understanding, guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand as we join together in confessing our Christian faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> 